The Midnight Myth Podcast presents The Wheel of Ka, an exploration into Stephen King's epic The Dark Tower. This podcast is dedicated to discussion and analysis of The Dark Tower, a seven-book series written by the prolific American story slinger Stephen King. Say thank you, Cy. Patrick watched him stride to where the road ended, a black silhouette against that bloody burning sky. He watched as Roland walked among the roses and sat shivering in the shadows as Roland began to cry the names of his friends and loved ones and comrades. Those names carried clear in that strange air, as if they would echo forever. I come in the name of Stephen Deshane, he of Gilead. I come in the name of Gabrielle Deshane, she of Gilead. I come in the name of Cortland Andros, he of Gilead. I come in the name of Cuthbert Allgood, he of Gilead. I come in the name of Alain Johns, he of Gilead. I come in the name of Jamie DeCurry, he of Gilead. I come in the name of Vinay the Wise, he of Gilead. I come in the name of Hax the Cook, he of Gilead. I come in the name of David the Hawk, he of Gilead and the Sky. I come in the name of Susan Delgado, she of Megis. I come in the name of Shimi Ruiz, he of Megis. I come in the name of Per Callahan, he of Jerusalem's Lot and the Roads. I come in the name of Ted Brotigan, he of America. I come in the name of Dinky Earnshaw, he of America. I come in the name of Aunt Talitha, she of River Crossing, and will lay her cross here as I was bid. I come in the name of Stephen King, he of Maine. I come in the name of Oi, the brave, he of Midworld. I come in the name of Eddie Dean, he of New York. I come in the name of Susanna Dean, she of New York. I come in the name of Jake Chambers, he of New York, whom I call my own true son. I am Roland of Gilead, and I come as myself. You will open to me. After that came the sound of a horn. It simultaneously chilled Patrick's blood and exalted him. The echoes faded into silence. Then, perhaps a minute later, came a great echoing boom. The sound of a door swinging shut forever. And after that came silence. Welcome back, fellow travelers on the path of the beam, Derek and Steve Coming to you from the top of the tower. Oh, we've done it. We did it. We have read the entire eight book series. We have finished the second half of the book and we are here to talk about it. Um, there's a lot going on in <laughs> it's it's a, just a interesting time to be alive. Oh, that's for sure. The first thing I'll say is Wheel of Ka fans, you have been gracious and patient as we have been waiting for a point where Steve and I could do this together and we could say with a high degree of certainty that we won't infect each other with a disease. Yes. And we feel like we have reached that point where we can record together at a safe social distance. Mm -hmm. Um, Earlier, we didn't feel that we could um, do it safely because of the COVID-19, because of the super flu Mm -hmm. that's happening in the world right now. Yeah. Technically not a flu, but no. that is a I was like, out. there's going to be somebody right now that's going to, they're going to eat us alive on Twitter. I mean, that's a call out to the stand. Yeah, no. So, oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's absolutely a reference to the stand. Um, Stephen King wrote, Roland and his quartet, they go to the world of the stand. Did you see that meme that I sent you and Laurel this morning about uh, somebody was like, 
Oh, yes. Where Stephen King was like, no, the coronavirus is not like the stand. You know, basically, I'm paraphrasing, but like, we're going to find hope at the end of the tunnel. We'll find a vaccine. The stand kills everybody, basically. And somebody was like, oh, how the fuck would you know? Did you even read it? Yeah, the guy that wrote it. (laughs) And then the person with the meme was like, this is every single social media post I've ever seen. <laughs> it is It is an eerie, strange time, and oh. it's amazing that life and art seem to find these bizarre intersections. They always will. We, and we, we're at number 13. We're at number 13. So it kind of makes sense. It's a little weird. It's strange. We're at Black 13. How do you feel? Oh, God, I didn't even think about that. See, why do you blow my mind? We get on here live and you're just going blowing my mind. Hey, man. <laughs> Fuck, that's true. Yeah, we're well, at Black 13. I mean, we made it, dude. We made it. I will say this in terms of how I feel. I have spent more than two years yeah. with Roland and his content. Mm-hmm. I've been on the journey that they have gone on now twice. And it really has been a little over two years since I first read The Gunslinger the first time to the reread and the launching of the Wheel of Ka podcast. I can tell you that as I approached the end of this book, I found myself choking back tears and then sometimes just being like, I can't choke it back anymore. Oh, yeah, no, no. I just was bawling at the end of this book. And I... (laughs) have so much to get to and so much to say that I don't want to be bogged down with how I feel because there's an amazing amount to unpack, to uncover, to ask about the second half of the book. The second half of the book has so much of everything that makes Stephen King a great writer wrapped up in it. Yeah, I mean, he really gave his all. He gave his all in this book. It is you know, kind of striking to me that if you go around the fan forums, genuinely speaking, people tend to rate this book as one of the worst. Well, that's because nobody likes ends. Nobody likes endings. And I in, mean, in particular, no one seems to like this ending. Yeah, well, because it's hard. It's difficult. I mean, if you're greedy like I am, and and you read through the coda like I did, then I don't think you're meant to be inspired, or you're meant to feel good about the ending because it doesn't feel good i think we should hold that thought yeah, and absolutely. circle back to oh, it we will. Oh, when we just dis- when we get to talking dakota how are you feeling steve well, uh, well i'm fine i'm healthy and safe which is good my wife and i are healthy and safe at home so we feel fortunate for that um you know it is a, it's, it is a strange time to be alive uh, i i feel good that i had something to pour my focus into in the last couple of weeks really finishing the book i mean i'll admit it to to our our listeners that i really didn't read the book for like the month that we took off. Basically, it was a little too tough. It was too much, too much emotion to put into. Also, real life was happening very fast. And when that happens, reading a dystopian, you know, uh, horror adventure sometimes isn't the thing that, that I want to do during those times. That's not really my way of escaping that feeling. But in the last two weeks, I read, or a week and a half, I read something like 350 to 400 pages in like seven days or eight days. And if it, it felt great. I feel very accomplished that we said we were going to do something and we actually did it uh, in, in a world where media, where you can let things fall to the wayside and you can kind of get away from things because it's hard, because life happens, because it's difficult. You're doing other things. But we got to the top of the, uh, 
of the fucking tower there, buddy. And I feel pretty good about it. I feel honored and privileged. It's the first podcast I've ever done. Uh, and I, I want to thank you and Laurel for um, allowing me to do this. I mean, really giving me agency fully from day one, complete trust. That's never happened in, in, in my artistic career before where you, you just get complete trust to walk onto a project and do something. And I'm rambling now, but I love you both. I want to just say thank you really quick to everybody who has ever listened to this show, whether it be for 10 seconds or up until right now. Um, I, I don't know you and you don't know me, but I feel very close to you uh, since we took this journey together. So thank you. And um, let's break down this motherfucking tower. Let's do it. Because there's know, so much. Just to echo those sentiments, the Wheel of Ka has been an amazing project. Mm -hmm. It has been one of the most popular Every Wheel of Ka episode ranks up with top downloads for the Midnight Myth. Mm. We've gotten a lot of positive feedback. Yeah. Um, and all the channels that people have to reach us. So Twitter, at the Midnight Myth. Facebook, Instagram, at Midnight Myth Podcast. Go to our website, www.midnightmyth.com. Um, so we've gotten a ton of feedback. We've gotten a ton of listens. Thank you to everyone. Ka is a wheel. Oh, it and is. And we are on this wheel, and it is turning around. And right now, we're at the end of our journey. And you know what? I think at the end of this episode, we should let everybody know. And I'm going to drop a bomb here, Derek. I'm dropping bombs today. That's where I'm at. We're going to let everybody know at the end of this episode what's next for the Wheel of Ka. Because it's not, it's not ending. It's, Boom. Okay. It's, it's it going around. It's going around. The wheel is going around. So... How, you know, we've normally done this where we talk about the tower. I actually think we should talk about it this time. I know normally second half of the book we don't, but I think it's changed pretty significantly. I don't know how you feel about that. I mean, yeah, what is the tower? I think one of the central enigmas of this entire project has been to understand what is the tower. It is part of Stephen King's imagination. It is channeled from Gan. It's a literal place. It's an imaginary place. It holds the universe together, and the universe couldn't exist if the tower didn't exist. Mm -hmm. The tower is the paradox. The, the, the tower is the amazing, crazy, unanswered questions that loom in the back of our minds. It's our obsessions. It's our fears. It's our love. It's our hate. It's our Mordreds, and it is our Rollins, man. I mean, in a sense, it almost feels like it's, it's a brain in that it holds all of your memories, all of your thoughts, the way you feel about certain things, the way that you think about certain things. And so I think that the tower itself, to me, really changed into like a physical thing that was a piece of Roland almost. Like it's all of these things at once. It is no, like to me, even though it's a tangible thing and a place, it never really felt like a physical structure ever. It still doesn't feel like a structure. Mm. You know, I'm just meditating on that point because I think it's really interesting. If we understand Stephen King, the character, mm. plus Stephen King, the author. The author, they're two different people. And we understand the tower has a brain. And we understand that Roland is part of it. Does it not form its own sort of symbolic quartet? 
There's Stephen King, the author, yeah. creating Roland, the character, sure. who then saves Stephen King, the character, who then gets to the brain of it all. Yeah. The tower. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it, for all intents and purposes. <laughs> yes, I'm so glad I fit it in. It, it's, it's Stephen Kitten's brain. The Dark Tower is his brain. It's his world. And he has to continue to live this over and over and over again. Because, by the way, everybody, Derek and I read the coda. We did. We did. We didn't stop at the happy ending. Although we both admitted in a private conversation that we probably would have, but didn't. Because I'm addicted to knowing I need to know what happens. Yeah, same. And I also just think way, way back when we first started, I think it was the first episode. I had said that I thought that the Dark Tower symbolized Roland's journey to find his soul. And so I read the book through that lens the whole time we've been doing this. And I tried to, to speak about it over the podcast it, you know, in that lens, or in that vernacular, rather. And the truth is that I still think that it's about the journey for Roland to find his soul, and I just don't think he finds it. I don't think he finds it. At least this time he didn't because I was tempted enough to read the coda. And I feel like if I get to a point in time in my life where I read this book series again and I get to the end of the story prior to the coda and I stop and I say, you know what? In my life, this, this is where I need to stop. This makes sense. Then maybe the character finds his soul. But from where my vantage point, he never finds it. He has to start over again. I love that you brought that up. I'd like to pull a quote that made me yep. think about that very riddle. Great. Because I, I genuinely speaking agree that one of the central questions, one of the central hooks, one of the central problems that we're seeing the main character Roland work out is his humanity. And does he have it? Has he lost it? Can he regain it? What's the cost that he must pay to reach his goal, which is the tower? How, how deep is he willing to pay that cost? At what point is he just an addict with a fix and that fixes the tower versus a independent agent choosing and making choices? Right. And this quote kind of, kind of rung out to me in that, has he found a soul or not? And what is Roland thinking? And this is a, this takes place right as Roland and Jake are on the verge of finding Stephen King, knowing they have to save his life. Mm -hmm. And both Roland and Jake realizing that one of them is going to die in this. Mm -hmm. They both sort of psychically, intuitively realize one of them is going to die. It's Kashume. It is the sense of the Kotet breaking even further. And Roland thinks, quote, during the long years he had spent on the trail of the man in black, the gunslinger would have sworn nothing in the universe could have caused him to renounce the tower. Had he not literally killed his own mother in the pursuit of it back at the start of his terrible career? But in those years he had been friendless, childless, and he didn't like to admit it, but it was true, heartless. He had been bewitched by that cold romance, the loveless mistake for love. Now he had a son, and he'd been given a second chance, and he had changed. Knowing that one of them must die in order to save the writer, that their fellowship must be reduced again, and so soon, would not make him cry off. 
but he would make sure that Roland of Gilead, not Jake of New York, provided the sacrifice this time. Did the boy know that he penetrated his secret? No time to worry about that now. End quote. As I unpack that quote, and the reason I pulled it, the question of, has he found a soul? To me, there is some evidence there that, yes, he can't undo what he has done before. But he is starting to think, for the first time, Jake's not a chess piece Mm -hmm. in my game to the tower. And if someone's going to die here, it's going to be me. I'm not going to stop the quest for the tower. I'm going to continue to pursue the tower. One of us is going to die, but it will be me. We sadly know that doesn't happen because Roland's hip, Stephen King's hip, Mm -hmm. betrays him. And Jake chooses to sacrifice himself for the father. The sacrificed Jake becomes the sacrificer. Mm -hmm. And in this moment, it goes a long way in my understanding the character Roland and his journey for his soul in saying that there, there has been on this journey earned redemption and he has earned his opportunity to stand before the tower and shout the names and enter it. Has he earned the right to escape this in terrible fate? Probably not, mm. but he's earned the right to get there and feel that triumph for that moment. And I think it's super significant how King sets up Jake who was discarded like a used piece of rubbish now chooses because of his love for Roland to lay down his life for Roland. Mm. And I think that's one of the most beautiful balances. It's one of those things. It's a seed planted in a book that a year later on the seventh book, you see that connection and you just go like, aha. Right. Right. So I think he's finding this soul here. Oh, I do think he's finding it. But, you know, and I, I, I feel like I said this way back when, maybe, maybe I didn't, but I feel like if he chooses not to sacrifice Jake the first time, then this story happens like it does, but, but the ending ends happily. He doesn't, he doesn't, maybe he doesn't go into the tower. Maybe he reaches it, but then doesn't have to get to the top. He reaches the dark tower with his quartet. But you know what? We'll never know. We don't get that. We'll never know what happens. And that's why I think it's really interesting that Stephen King gives you the option. It says, look, I, I wrote your happy ending. I wrote what everybody screamed at me for years that they wanted. And here it is. And you should be able to walk away. It's a great ending. Susanna walk, leaves. Everybody's happy. She's with Eddie and Jake. And they're in a different part of New York in a different when. And they all love each other. And it's wonderful. And we don't have to worry about murder, cowboy. But that's not reality. That's their story. We have to go back to Roland because we've been with Roland from moment one. And in fact, I think part of the reason why I don't stop is because as connected to the quartet as I felt, as connected to Eddie as I felt, I realize in the last 100 pages of the book that the person I'm most connected to is Roland. And I don't want it to be that way. Go ahead. Now, tell me why... You think that is? Well, I, for a lot I, of reasons. I feel the same, but I tell mean, me why. I, I feel like, I mean, number one, it's kind of inevitable. I mean, we follow him from the very beginning. He is the gunslinger. Without Roland, there is no journey, right? Like, okay, fine. But 
deeper than that, I think it's it's what you just talked about. It's the fact that he is able to learn through the process and fucking sacrifice a kid. And then seven books later, the child is sacrificing himself to save the father. I mean, that's, you have to be able to change to get people to trust you that much. I mean, you have to be part badass. You do. I mean, and he, that, that, that never changes. Roland is a straight fucking killer from moment one to moment end. No doubt about that. But I don't know. I, I, I like the Roland that's emotional. I like the Roland that laughs. I like the Roland that, that, that fucking cries. The moment that kills me the most in the entire series, in the entire series, has nothing to do with Eddie and has nothing to do with Jake. Well, it actually has something to do with Jake. So Jake's been dead. You know, Jake dies. But the moment with fucking Oi... Where Roland learns that it's okay to let Jake go because Oi has done it. Oh, forget it. I, dude, I wept. I put the book down. I walked away for like a half an hour. I like held my dog harder than I've ever held her. Because the truth is like the, the love of an animal teaches you so, because Roland is an animal. It's, it's funny how I bring Oi up now where, where the two of them really don't connect very much throughout the whole series. And yet you have this little moment. They bond over Jake. And it's killer. And that's the Roland that I want. And I have to wait. I have to wait four books. We get to Wizard and Glass. We get to see young Roland who has love and hope and fire and fury in his heart. It's beautiful, right? And then he loses the love of his life. And then, uh, you know, he kills his mom prior to that. And, uh, you know, <laughs> it's all downhill from there. And I have to wait until, like, the end of the fifth book, you know, to get sympathetic, empathetic Roland. Yeah, man. And that's why. I don't know. I just feel like, you know, I say that Eddie is the, is the character that has the biggest arc, but I, I think you're supposed to feel that because Roland, it go, you're with him until the end. And you do realize that Roland does. I mean, man, he changes a lot in a relatively short amount of time. I think one, so the scene where Oi dies is the scene where Mordred attacks them at night. He miscalculates and doesn't realize that Oi is there. Right. And it's also telling that Oi, a few moments before then, a few days before then, pardon me, decides to stop eating. Oi is aware of his own death. Yeah. Oi has the choice to go with, with Susanna into New York and be safe. And refuses. No, I mean, he's lost his purpose for living. Well, I would say that Oi knows exactly what's going to happen. Oi is, like Jake, yeah, going I mean, to lay down his sure. life for Roland. And dude, and, he does it savagely. That scene is savage. He saves, he saves Roland's life. Oh, without, without a doubt. Because if Oi isn't there to warn and slow down Mordred, Mordred takes Patrick and takes Roland and he kills them in their sleep. And I, and I tolerated Mordred more the second half. I still don't like him. I still think it's a useless character. But I, I, I thought it was, he, he was used better the second half of the book. And Roland's last words to Oi were words of anger. He's frustrated. I know. And, and, well, and that's another lesson that, that Roland learns. That stings him when Oi dies. And he talks about it. I mean, the fact that Roland takes time to meditate on that that's something that he would have never done 
in the first, second, third book. Stop and think about what, what how he he even he even criticizes himself right before he accepts it. He's like, "Who am I? Who am I? I I'm, I'm I'm worried about what I yelled at an animal." Right, because it's not an animal. That's my fucking family. That's my cotet. Just as much as Eddie, Jake, or Susanna. That's some powerful shit, dude. I totally, totally agree. It's powerful shit. And if you're not a pet owner, which I wasn't for a very long time in my life for varied reasons, you don't really understand that. And, and when, when, when you become a pet owner, and I, I really do think when you have a dog, because it's a different responsibility. I mean, it's the same with a cat. We've had cats for years. But like that, that devotion that that animal has for you, it changes you if, if, if you're not used to it. Oh, yeah. And Oi, as he gets more linked into the Cotet, and they get psychically linked where they can share each other's thoughts and feelings, it does become a, an elevated relationship. Mm-hmm. And I think Oi is to rep, like, there's a reason Oi and Jake are best friends is because of all of the people and members of the Cotet, they're the most innocent. Absolutely. They are the ones um, that don't, you know, and you could say, Susanna really doesn't have any dirt under her fingernails, but still she was an adult and, you know, mm-hmm. grown up. And so it doesn't represent the same level of, in, of no, innocence. No, not at all. I mean, Eddie's a straight up drug running drunk junkie. So yeah. he clearly has dirt yeah. under his fingernails, but for Oi and for Jake, they have these moments where they get to be kids. Mm-hmm. They had, and they get to be a boy and his pet together. And these moments are really amazing. And when Oi and Jake get separated, when Jake lays down his life, it hits the people that it's going to hit the hardest are going to be Roland, mm-hmm. who's so guilty over having killed Jake to begin with, who has now gotten to the point where he is he's called father by this by this wonderful young gunslinger, and Oi that they have this like bond where they can switch oh, yeah. minds in I mean, this book. They've switched minds and bodies. I would actually argue that, that role, I mean, excuse me, that Oi and Jake have a stronger connection with each other than, than Roland and, and Jake do. Oh yeah. You know, I'm not trying to say one's no, better, no, 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 but no, I'm no, saying no. that they're the ones there when Jake dies. Right. Is super significant. Oh, absolutely. And the fact that Oi sticks to Roland because I don't think it's because I don't think it's because his purpose is there. I think he realizes what Jake would have wanted yeah. is to help Roland get to the end. I think in in that same vein, I find the most tragic element of the back half of this book is Susanna and her choice to leave. Mm-hmm. And I think a refrain that we have had in many books is that Susanna doesn't get enough agency. There's not enough chapters written from her perspective. Right. We're constantly not sure what she's thinking and feeling. That is not the problem. That is not even, even a, a, it's not even an issue in my no. view in the second half of this book. Most of the second half of this book is strictly from Susanna's perspective. Right. And we get to see her, we get to see her upset with Roland because of the death of Eddie. We get to see her mourn the loss of Jake. And we get to see her suffering in this march through the Badlands, mm-hmm. and by far the worst part of the journey. After the content is broken, after they have made their way through this cosmic toe-dash castle, castle distortia mm-hmm. with this evil space worm that's chasing them, which is just cosmic horror 
nihilistic horror right. to the T. Then they this get to just, a killer clown. Yeah. And they have to walk through winter, the start of winter, without proper clothing. Right. There's a point where Susanna even contemplates looking at Oi's fur and thinks, that's some nice looking fur there. I know. I know. She doesn't act on it, but who wouldn't think it sure. in that scenario sure. that she even thinks about that? You're in survival mode. And her decision to leave Roland and Roland's reaction to it was also, in terms of evaluating the moral fiber of Roland, one of the questions that we had in our first episode was, is Roland a moral character? Is he mm. a good character? Mm. And it's a really interesting question from the first book because he does so many terrible things. And Roland falls to his knees and begs Susanna not to leave and not to go through the door that Patrick draws for I her. Mean, I mean, that's a shocking moment. That is the most vulnerable we have ever seen him. Mm -hmm. That's the most lonely we've ever seen him. And to Roland, he can't <laughs> understand Susanna's choice. And we understand it really well. Because mm -hmm. Susanna is evaluating what's going on. And she realizes to go with Roland to the tower is to die. She realizes that she can't be there. The tower was never her quest. It was never her journey. She recognizes that she's a supporting role in a grander story, and she chooses to leave. And when she's going through the door, and Roland is shouts, just wait, and the door just slams. And to me, that's a representation of the loneliness of Roland. The idea to be following this quest at all costs what that really means, it's almost harder for me to see someone choose to leave him because everyone else chooses to lay down their life, including Oi. Yeah, the only person that doesn't die is Susanna. And rightfully so. Because Susanna is the person that figures out that there is something more important than the tower. Yeah. And that is the love of your relationships. Yep. And when she found the two people... And Oi, a different version, but when she found those two people that she loved most, she stuck with them. Let me, I, uh, let me pull out a quote here yeah, please. about this. Sure. I don't have a ton of quotes, but the ones I have are zingers. <laughs> this is, you know, Roland is on his knees begging, and she's, he's about to go to her knees, and she's just like, I can't let you do that. She coned her heart and saw that she was. She understood the risks, but yes, she was. And just to stop the quote, she was ready to leave. Mm -hmm. And back to the quote. And why? Because Roland's way was the way of the gun. Roland's way was death for those who rode or walked beside him. He had proved it over and over again since the early stages of his quest. No, even before, since overhearing Hacks the Cook planning treachery and thus assuring his death by the rope. It was for the good, for what he called the white. She had no doubt of it. But Eddie still lay in his grave in one world and Jake in another. She had no doubt that much the same fate was waiting for Oi and for poor Patrick. Nor would their deaths be long in coming. I am sure, she said. And, you know, she's been sure most of the time. She has been sure-footed most of the time. And, you know, I, I, I have, I mean, we've criticized Stephen King over Susanna, and rightfully so. But in the last two books, he really does give her 
a lot of agency, a lot of, she really gets fleshed out, you know, and, and I, as much as I didn't want Susanna to leave, I think of all of the decisions that have been made, that this is the one that's the most thought through and is the smartest decision. She leaves with the ones that she loves and she gets that opportunity where Roland doesn't. Yeah. And she chooses to not be a soldier for Roland. And that's the question. What, what is most important is the most important thing getting to the tower or is it the journey to get there and the people that you go with and for Roland? I mean, he says it from the very beginning. It is getting to the tower. And for some reason for us as readers to think that that was ever going to change is foolish. And I only speak for myself because I did think that that would change. I did. I did think that now, you know, I mean, who, who in their right mind would make these sort of relationships, these, these tight knit bonds, these almost blood brother, blood sister relationships to just throw it all away to get to a fucking tower. Really? Yep. Yep. The answer is yes. If we accept some of the literal aspects of this story, there were breakers, they're destroying beams, they want to destroy the tower. There are monsters, they want to kill the writer, right. killing the writer, it destroys the tower. We're at a point in the story where the beams have been saved, the writer has been saved. Most stories, traditional heroic stories, traditional epic narratives would stop there and mm -hmm. start the epilogue. Mm -hmm. Oh, we've saved the multiverse. Mm -hmm. That's just the beginning of the end of this book. Because mm -hmm. it is more than just saving the multiverse here. Yeah, no, Roland says it. It's Roland about, must it's about, get to the tower. That's it, and he will. By all costs, he will get there. And it's one of the central meditations of this book. If we talk about, of all of the books, if we talk about Roland's journey for a soul... If you're willing to do anything and everything for the tower, if saving all of creation is just a byproduct, is mm -hmm. just a step towards the next part. And it's a step that he wants. Like, he wants to help people. Oh, sure. You know, he wants to. For the to, most part. Yeah, I mean, he does want to help the tower. He does want Gilead to be restored. Mm -hmm. He wants the world to stop moving on mm -hmm. and start becoming a real world that people can live in and civilization can grow in. These are things that he does desire, but once he achieves that, we ask ourselves, why is he going forward? And Susanna has to ask herself, why am I going forward? That's right. And I've lost my husband. I've lost my surrogate son slash nephew slash brother in Jake. I'm going to lose my pet in Oi. I've lost so much. And she's a character because... She came from a time where there, she didn't have civil rights, that she had to deal with being, you know, brutally mutilated by a, a sociopath and lives, you know, without <laughs> She's her legs. a person legs. with a disability in the fucking 50s. She understands the value of life in a way that a lot of the other characters can't because she's had to fight for it. She's had to fight for what it means to be a free and alive person to make choices her whole life. And at the end of it, she's going to look at this and be like, what quest is going to be worth this? Yeah, that, that's really interesting that you bring that up. You know, I, I think a lot about Susanna at the end of this book. And I think when she gets to 
this moment where she's like, look, I don't have to choose to lose everybody. And in fact, I'm being given a second chance to be with those people. That's good enough for me. That's what I'm going to do. Can I ask you this? Yeah. In the way that you read this, do you read that Susanna having Patrick draw the door so that she can go to a New York, a when and where do you think she knows that she'll find Eddie and Jake? I think she believes that there's a chance. I mean, she's seen it before. She's been to other whens and wheres. And the fact that she sees it in her dreams multiple times, I think it, it makes it a little more plausible that she would leave. Also, I think Susanna would leave whether she knows or not. Yeah, same. I just, I just don't think that she's willing to die for Roland. She loves Roland, truly. Truly loves Roland, but she's the smartest of everybody in the quartet. And she's realized that she's, she's played her role in his story. And now it's time for her to live in peace. She chooses peace. Yep. And I think that's smart and respectable. Yep. And I mean, I mean, why not? I mean, a black woman in America, her entire life would have been a fucking struggle and may continue to be in this world. But it's not as much of a struggle as going on this journey with this white man to the tower. And I mean, think about it. Think about it, right? Like, like when we first meet Susanna, she's, you know, she's Odetta and Detta. She's two different people. And she's, she fucking hates white people, rightfully so. You know, I mean, I mean, think about where she starts to where she ends. I would choose peace too. She actually like, she basically gets rid of Detta at the end of the story. She's finally able to like put that voice away and come to peace. I, fuck man. Susanna's ending feels better and better every time I read it. And Roland's feels worse and worse. Like when I read it, right? Like when he gets there and the trumpets are singing and he fucking, I mean, when he, when he says those voices, like we did at the beginning, Dude, I'm like every, I am saying them out loud at my kitchen table as I'm crying. The fucking actor in me. I'm like saying them. And when he says, you will open for me, it's like, fuck yeah, dude. And then when he gets in, there's more struggle. I got to climb all these stairs. I see all these rooms of like. Hold on. We should hold the coda. We should save that for our last conversation. right, right, right. Let's let's hold talk. Yes. Let's talk about the end versus Dakota. But let's finish up our point about Susanna. I mean, what would you do? Let me ask you that question. I think one of the most beautiful and tragic parts to the end of Susanna's story is in the epilogue, where we get the sense that these heroic deeds, the further she gets away from this door, when she throws the gun in the trash, that she stops remembering everything that happened. And I get the sense though. It doesn't specifically say this. The first time I did it, I remembered it that Susanna forgets the entire journey. It doesn't actually specifically say it. It just says it's fading and she knows it's fading. And the more time she spends there, the more fading that it has, which has led me to believe it'll eventually fade away. And she'll just accept this reality as if she's always been there. And I thought that there was something wonderful, beautiful, and horrible about that. And the reason why I thought that is because it asks, it begs the question, if Susanna can live a long and prosperous life in this other where and when, and eventually forget that she had a gun with a sandalwood grip, 
and that she could forget that she was once Odetta and Detta, and that she survived the beach with the Lobstrosities, that she battled Shardik, that she went through the trials and tribulations with Blaine the Mono, that she bore the Antichrist and helped to defeat him, that she has played her part in saving all creation, and that at the end of all of that, she chose peace over quest. Maybe Ka is bullshit. Okay. <laughs> Maybe, because think about it. Because if this is all Ka, Susanna makes a choice. I think this is the one choice in the book where Ka is not involved. They do say a few times, that when they get to the Badlands, that they're beyond Ka. And then they but a few Roland, times also say, well, maybe we're not. And that's and, and here's the thing, right? I mean, maybe, maybe Ka is just Roland's reasoning for continuing on. And that whatever happens, happens. Maybe not. But in this moment, it's the first decision that I see made that Ka is not involved. Right. And Susanna, at this point in her journey, when Roland wants to bring up Ka, is just like. Don't bring up that K word. We're done. We're done with that. We're done with it. My husband's in the ground. She's above it. Jake's dead. And the question is, yeah. can you be above Ka? Yes. Is Ka a good thing? I'm not necessarily sure. Is Roland, you know, is he destined to stay with Ka? I think so. When you believe in something that hard, I mean, think about it, man. You've met people in your life who believe things concretely, whether they make sense or not. I mean, Ka doesn't really make sense. It's just things just happen because they happen. That's a bullshit escapist reason for things happening. That, that, that's, that, that's like Roland's excuse for mowing down an entire town of women, men, and children and being like, well, you know, Ka willed it. It's an excuse almost, which is interesting. I hate to talk ill against it because it's literally in the fucking title of our podcast, but this moment really made me think about Ka. And is it a positive thing? Because Susanna is able to rise above it and step away from it and denounce it and live a fucking seemingly, we don't know, but like happy life. Well, I mean, wouldn't you want to forget some of the shit that they went through? I don't know, man. I know, I know. Honestly, I, mean, I, I honestly, I... I, but we didn't go through it. I think that's the difference as readers. Like we didn't actually go through it. We read it. But if you, I mean, I mean, I know. But we characters. did. We did. So well, like yeah, Susanna's yeah. not real. We did no, go I know, through it. I know. I, you know, no, so we, I know. I, I would say, I think there's a few multiple layers to your point. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a very interesting point. If we understand Ka as a deterministic wheel that you can't get out of, it can feel overwhelming, and when you accept that there's suffering in the universe, it can feel heartless and cruel. Mm -hmm. However, Ka can also come like the wind, and it can create love. Mm -hmm. And if Susan Susanna does rise above Ka, and I'm not sure I agree, but mm -hmm. if she does rise beyond Ka and she can make her own choice, I think her choice to leave Roland and her choice to find that other life to me, it is a little sad knowing that it it could potentially wipe clean yeah. the fact that, you know, 
she was literally responsible for saving everything. I think if you sure. had sure, but what kind? There's of, a question between senseless and meaningless mm -hmm, death mm -hmm. and noble sacrifice. Oh no, absolutely. Right? But there is also just just to counter argue that there is also this feeling of like imagine the emotional weight that Susanna would have to carry. But are you saying that Susanna's not strong enough? Because she's oh, no. not, because she totally is. Oh no, I think she's absolutely capable, more than capable. I think the thing is she doesn't want to do it alone. Because look, even her love for Roland has never been as strong as the love for Jake and especially for Eddie. And when she finds that she's able to really give herself to the people that she knows are gonna dedicate themselves Back to her, Roland is never going to do that. Roland is dedicated to the tower. Steve is so animated; he is waving I'm his hands around like a crazy man. <laughs> it's fantastic. But, but so but, he just hits something in the studio because, because I don't necessarily disagree with you. But there is this piece of me that's like Roland is so dedicated to the tower. She sees that books ago. Yeah, but if Kai is a good thing or a bad thing, is your question here? Oh. And if Kai is a bad thing, then so are the roses. Well, no, I said that Kai's bullshit. I didn't say it's a bad thing. Okay, but we can infer as oh, sure. negative by sure. calling it bullshit. Well, yeah. You know, I'm not trying to be semantical. And, I, and I just wonder, I wonder, I'm not, I don't even know if I'm completely sold on the idea that I even brought up. But it does make me think, like, if Susanna is strong enough to pull herself away from Kai, I just don't like leaving that decision a strong capable woman making a decision to walk away from his, from this situation as Ka. Oh, but no one said it was. No, I know. I guess that's yeah. just how I, that's how I sort of yeah. read it. it like we, we, are, we are discussing this idea that they're at a point right now at the nexus of the universe where they are able to really make decisions that will affect this entire multiverse. Right. And Susanna makes one, and it's a powerful one. And it does have an air of sadness to me. Oh, and it's difficult. And it sure. does have an air of sadness to me because if I saved the universe, I'd want to know. Yeah. And she may not. Yeah. And she may have a long and healthy and prosperous life. Stephen King also says in the epilogue, he's not going to tell you it was happy because it wasn't. Right. It had sadness. It yeah. had It's it life. Had, it was life. But she got to live a life that you get the sense was full and complete. And what she wanted. And a life that's not haunted by the mental demons that Odetta carried. It's not haunted by the weight and um, that Roland carries of thousands of years of questing and death. Or the abuse and cruelty that Odetta carries around. But I do think I was sad when she threw that that gun in the trash sure. i was oh. very sad i was happy for the character don't yeah. get me wrong yeah but i was in in a moment there i thought there is a there's a tragic poetry yeah to this that i think is worth calling out and the idea that yeah if you can rise above ka and you can get to the point where you can make what you want in the universe because you have someone who could do whatever will do whatever you say and whatever they draw mm -hmm. becomes reality. You're sitting next to a dim-witted god. And you ask that god to to make something for you. Mm -hmm. And you could ask that god to do whatever you want and what he makes for you is just a way to maybe connect with a version of your once husband. There's a beauty and a tragedy to it that I think is I think is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah.
And I do think there is a strength to it in choosing to walk away from, remember, certain death. I mean, Susanna would die, and she didn't think that dying for Roland was worth it. And, and you know, and that's sad in and of itself, but of all of the characters, I think it makes most sense for her to choose to leave. And that the two, the man and the boy in the group died for Roland. I'm shaking my head in agreement. Yeah. I couldn't agree with yeah. that more. Have you ever heard the term amor fati? Yes. It's Latin and it means love of fate. And I think it might be instructive in our debate here about Ka. Maybe that's what it is. I'm sure. Let's, let's talk a little bit about the end in the coda. And we've all read it, right? And we all know that Roland has to start his journey over with one slight change. He has the horn that he, his friend blew at the Battle of Jericho and lost, right? And Roland has to start over. He's at the beginning. The, first, the last book ends where the first book starts with only one slight variation. Amor Fati, it means love of fate. It's largely associated with Frederick Nietzsche. And Frederick Nietzsche had a theory based upon what people understood of the cosmos at the time. And the general theory was that the universe was infinite in size and infinite in time. Mm -hmm. It had always existed and it always will exist. Current physicists don't agree with that. They think the universe had a start. They call it the Big Bang. What, what came before that, no one knows, but they think this universe had a start, so time had a start. But the idea that Nietzsche was kicking around was that if the universe has infinite time and infinite space for things to happen, everything that has happened will happen again. And the person that can live a life where they fall in love with their fate, they recognize that there's an inherent suffering and absurdity in all of this, but you must love your fate. And ask yourself the question, if you're going to live this life for forever, what kind of life are you living? Take charge of it and do the things that you think are going to be the best things. Mm -hmm. Be the Ubermensch mm -hmm. or the Overman, mm -hmm. as Nietzsche would say. Mm -hmm. And this is a gross simplification of his philosophy. But it makes sense in, in, in the context of this. But in the context of Ka, whether it's a good or a bad thing, whether Roland reliving this is a good or a bad thing and how sad and weird and bizarre it is, the lesson I take away is I go back to that lesson from Nietzsche and I say, Roland needs to learn to love his fate because he's going to do this forever. Which is why he needs to find his soul. Love his fate, find his soul. It could be the same thing. It could literally be the same thing. I mean, Roland does, you know, the fact that, that he continues forward after that he has to get to the top of the tower, it, he hasn't fallen in love with it yet. And maybe Stephen King hasn't fallen in love with it yet. But I don't think there is a possible Dark Tower world where Roland doesn't get to the tower eventually. Well, I mean, that's, that's the biggest question. And I don't think that possible world well, no. ever, has him never has him not restart. Well, and that's, but that's the interesting thing, right? So the, so does Roland, so basically Roland, you're saying that Roland never rises above Ka, ever. I'm saying he needs to learn to love his fate. And he never will. And that Ka is a wheel. If you are part of a universe that says by its base definition, by the rules of the universe, that you must live this life for forever, you better learn to love it. Yeah. 
because there may be time, no escape. And maybe this time around he does. I mean, maybe the reason why he continues to do it is because he knows he will end up with Jake and Susanna and Eddie and Oi. Even if he goes back and he never sacrifices Jake, he'd still end up at that top tier of that tower and he'd still be right back at that desert is what I'm saying. Wow. Because Ka is a wheel. Mm. A lot of the general theories about thinking what happens after, which Stephen King also tells us is stupid, but we shouldn't do it, right? Yeah, why? He literally tells us the, the story ends, stop thinking about it, move on. But of course, this is Wheel of Ka. We did a whole year's worth of podcasts. Yeah, we yeah. can't actually right. do that. You know, I did think about it, though. I thought about stopping. And the truth is, is that I don't think I'm at a point in my life that I would be happy accepting my fate in this world. Yeah. I'm not. I had to know what happened. I had to know if Roland was really going to. I mean, I knew, but there was still a piece of me that was like, no, I have to read it. I have to see him climb. I have to see him get to the top. I have to see him get that horn just to read the first line of the book. And I think the horn to me is the symbol of optimism, is the idea that one of his last thoughts is that I wish I could have gotten this horn. Well, let me, let, me, let me challenge that then for a second, because if you think that Roland is inevitably always going to go back to the beginning, then why does Stephen King give him the horn this time? Because he's going to learn to love his fate. But he doesn't. He has to learn it. He has to, he has to, like, the journey to me is for him to strive. The fact that he can grab the horn to me says that though he is going to be doing this, and it's not Roland that's going to be doing it for forever. Mm -hmm. It's all of them. Oh, sure. There is a, a there is a, a Ka-like mechanism that allows for him to get slightly more optimistic, slightly wiser, slightly kinder, mm -hmm. slightly less brutal and cruel, slightly more sentimental, right? And that's the part of him that when he redoes it, that gives him the horn. And the horn, they don't go back to the Battle of Jericho and have him redo it. It's almost as if Ka gifts the horn to him. They say, here you are. You get to do this again, but this time you picked up the horn. And in that way, he's one step closer to loving what his fate is. Yeah, I guess if... if if you're Stephen King, you're not imagining that people are going to go back and read this entire series again. Because my first question is like, well, wait, that's total bullshit because we went back and he started again and he didn't have the horn. Well, yeah, okay, right, right, right. I see what you're saying. It right. makes sense. Um, but yeah, I mean, and that's just one way to interpret it. And that's you, that the way I'm interpreting it is using the, the lens of Frederick Nietzsche. Uh, we talked at... Uh, in Indic philosophy, which is about cycles of life and death and trying to break out of them. And in those philosophies, you can break out of your fate. Mm -hmm. You can stop being reborn. You can become a Buddha and transcend and get to Nirvana. And so there is another interpretation. I think that's equally as valid that says, this is about Roland trying to finally break out. He gets reborn again. He gets to live again. He carries a little bit of that last mm -hmm. run through this this like quest gauntlet with him. And since he carries a little bit, maybe he gets a little wiser to a point where he can finally overcome and get to the top of the tower and get to heaven. Yeah, that right? makes sense. So there's, that sure. is a, a, a interpretation, but I think it's a more fun one to think 
He gets to do this forever. And slowly, after thousands of times of doing it, he eventually learns yeah. to love. Yeah. To truly love. Sure. Not just not just the katet, but love his himself and love his fate. Mm. So I have to tell you, to be completely honest, listening to you in the last like five or six minutes that we've you've been explaining this about Roland having to like find and relive his life and like find himself and enjoy it has completely changed the, the way that I looked at it because I looked at it as Roland is fucking doomed. He's just doomed to repeat this over and over again because he's literally a murderer. But like, in fact, you, 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 typical Derek have positively spun this and put the goddamn sunlight on it. Right. And it makes sense. You're right. Like, like the more and more I listen to you and the more and more I think about it and the more and more I drink this bourbon, the more and more <laughs> that, that, that I actually agree. You're right. I think maybe the reason, the tempting reason to continue to read it is knowing that the happy ending is not real and that life is about struggle and that we do constantly run this wheel in our life of relearning and learning and relearning and changing and shaping the way that we deal with things. And that when we die, we really don't know where we go or what the fuck happens. It depends on what you think. But the truth is maybe we do restart. I mean, I don't know. Maybe this is Stephen King's version of what happens at the end. But listening to you, so I thank you for that. Because you completely changed the way I looked at it. Like classic me, I came in cynically and was like, he's fucking doomed. He's doomed. He's never going to, this is it. This is how he's going to repeat everything and it sucks. But you make a lot of sense. Like maybe it's not so bad. And just think about this. Smarter minds than myself and yourself <laughs> have contemplated the issue of eternal existence. Right. And have realized, like, well, maybe it's not all that bad. Yeah. And you mentioned something about endings. And Stephen King, before we go to the coda, he tells us in a very Stephen King way, like, you're not going to like it. And it doesn't actually end when he says, quote, there's no such thing as a happy ending. I've never met one equal to once upon a time. Mm. Endings are heartless. Ending is just another word for goodbye. I've, I've never met one better than once upon a time that that you know man i don't know people say that stephen king doesn't know how to end a book and i don't i don't know where that comes from I, you know what maybe it's because maybe it's because he does have these like mystifying kind of open-ended it, it's up to your interpretation of what reality is and what happens that people don't like because there's no definitive choice. Like you said, like we have saved the universe. We have saved the tower. The story is over. We go to the gray havens and heal. Right. And Stephen King's like, nah, actually there's this whole other thing that happens. And then there's, there's whole other afterlife. And maybe we come back to the different New York of a different where and a different when. I don't know, man, I, I, that whole criticism, that's one thing I've never understood. I, I really haven't. I am, and embarrassingly so, The Dark Tower is my entry point to Stephen King. Why are you embarrassed? It's my entry point, too. Because there are Kingists out there. There are sure. people that have read everything. I am on my way to being the constant reader. I am not the constant reader. I mean, like, I've read, I've read The Body, which was Stand By Me, and I've read Shawshank, and I've read The Green Mile, but because... I am petrified of horror. There you go, listeners. There's something you know about me. I've stayed away from Stephen King until this project. But I can say this. 
of the epic series that I have read, and I'm going to say things like the 2001 Space Odysseys by um, Arthur C. Clarke, the Lord of the Rings by J.R. Tolkien, Harry Potter with J.K. Rowling, um, George Martin in Game of Thrones, Song of Ice and Fire, which hasn't even ended yet. <laughs> you know, of all of these epic series that I love, that I truly love, that have inspired me, that are part of the reason I podcast, because I love this literature, this epic literature, none of them have an ending that compares even close, in my view, to The Dark Tower. When I first read the ending before the epilogue in the coda, when I first read the ending and Roland got to the tower, I was listening to it on audiobook and I stopped and I didn't even touch it for a day because I'm like, I was just, I had goose flesh. I was shivering. I was emotional. I thought it was perfect. And I knew there was a few more chapters and then I did the epilogue and I'm, I thought the epilogue was fantastic. A little piece for Susanna, but a little sadness because she forgets. And then I read the, the little essay where Stephen King is telling you to stop. And then I stopped and I thought about it for another day. Stephen King is telling me that it's over. Stephen King wrote the perfect ending, but he wrote a little more and he wrote a little more and I greedily had to say yes to it. And then I read that and I thought and thought and thought and I realized that I had to read the entire series again and I had to podcast about it so I could understand the coda because I didn't get it the first time. For sure. And I can understand many fans being frustrated because they didn't get it and I didn't get it. And I think I'm pretty savvy when it comes to media and literature analysis. I literally have a podcast dedicated to it <laughs> and I didn't get it and I had to reread it's it. It's tough stuff, man. Upon the second read, I finally got it. Yeah. I finally, knowing the whole time that this repeats, it finally made sense to me. It made sense to me that Stephen King, I've learned more about him as a man, that he's an addict, that he has had to come to surrender to a higher power through AA, that he, that addicts live in cycles of abuse, mm -hmm. that he's had to live this, that these cycles are in Roland as they are in Stephen King. And I understand, and I, I know it's, it's dangerous to psychoanalyze the author and, sure. and the person. Yeah, but I think it. Stephen King adds enough psychoanalysis of himself in this book. I mean, he literally wrote himself I mean, into come it. Come on, you know, and I mean, has this him, is his manifesto, you know, and so I think there is an element of that Ka as a wheel that it can be both oppressive but liberating. The fact that the same multiverse that has the Crimson King has the Rose. And I think there's this cycle that we see, the idea that we understand the Dark Tower as a cycle, as a wheel. I don't think it makes sense to me to read it as breaking the wheel. I think I just, it means to live in the wheel. I just want everybody to know that for the first time in 13 episodes, Derek is now using hand gestures. You're welcome. That's all. Steve, which always uses, <laughs> I'm just, I am a, I'm, I'm almost like I am a psychic vampire mimicking your body language <laughs> and energy. We've because every time I do this, I'm just like flailing and Derek is so composed and like right there. But now like you can see it. I can see how this ending affected you. 
Because it's funny because we've had conversations about the ending even before we we started this project. Because it because I agree, it is the one place that I didn't understand. Now I will say this. The Dark Tower is my second favorite book series. The truth is, I, I was 10 years old when Harry Potter came out. I literally grew up with that series. I mean, that series made me feel the way I needed to feel as a weird kid. And like, you know what I mean? Like that has a different connotation. In fact, I've never gone back and reread Harry Potter, which, which in my brain just popped in. I, 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 I should probably do that as an adult because I've never done it. But The Dark Tower as an adult has made me think about Literature, time, space, relationship, character building. I mean, as an actor, the, the, there are the, the, to be able to play the character of Eddie, like to be able to, to dig deep into something like that. I mean, Stephen King is so good at writing characters and making you feel alive that, like, that's part of the reason I go through the coda with Roland. You know what, man? I've gone with you from the moment, from moment one to now. What's a, what's another twenty pages? You and, know, and how could you say no to that? And how could you? You know, what's funny. The other day, and I also think not to interrupt. Uh -huh. If Stephen King didn't really want us to read it, he wouldn't have written it. Absolutely. So Mother's Day happened recently, and my parents live very close to us out in the suburbs of Philadelphia, and so we we socially distance. And I went in the basement with a mask on. And my mom had asked me to go through some like, you know, some old barrels and shit, not barrels, fucking tubs of stuff to just get rid of. And it's funny, when I was 16 years old, I bought the first book. I bought The Gunslinger. And I was like, you know, somebody told me about it. It, it sounded amazing. Like this, this, this fantasy series that was part spaghetti Western, that was part horror. I was like, fuck yeah, absolutely. I'm a moody 16 year old. Sign me up. I read the first 30 pages and was like, what the fuck is this? I put it away and I, I didn't look at it again until I was like 28. And the other, I was cleaning it out and there was the first book. And I pulled it out and I just chuckled to myself how it came back in my life literally 16 years after I bought the first book. And, and, and cause a wheel. Brother. I know, man. And cause it, a wheel, man. It's, it, 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 you know, I, I, I don't think there's a reality where I don't read the coda. I Same. don't, I just, I, I feel so addicted to Roland's story because I still don't, you, you know, here's one thing I want to address because I want to talk about two other things too. But one thing I want to address is like, I still don't feel like I completely trust Roland at the end of this. Like go, I'm with go him. Go on. Yeah, go on. You know, like I'm with him and I'm going to, I'm going to read the coda, but like the whole time I keep wondering like, is Roland just going to kill me <laughs> to get to the tower? Like there's just something about him. I feel like there's a piece of Roland that I'm never going to quite understand. And I think that's on purpose. There's this, this mystery around him. Like he's a person, but not, and a character, but not. There are times in this book series where I forget that Roland's there because I'm so into the relationship between Eddie and Susanna and Jake. But in the last like 60 to 75 pages of this book, it's you and Roland again. Yeah, and it's important to note that once Eddie, Jake, and Susanna, after the drawing of the three happens, most of the book is written through their eyes right. or other characters' eyes and not through Roland's. But we go back to Roland. 
even in the end, we get a lot of that from the perspective of Patrick. Yeah, that's true. That's true. A lot of it comes from the eyes of Patrick, what Patrick is seeing. And so we get to a point where we start observing Roland. We do get chapters from his perspective. We do get his thoughts. Right. So it never stops completely. But a whole here is like huge like moments like Blaine the Mono doesn't come from Roland's perspective as much as it does from everyone else's, right? Like, and so as much as we are meant to admire Roland, he is always meant to still be an enigma, a little bit of a mystery. And Roland is as much a part of the tower as the Rose is, as Stephen King is, which is why he goes on the journey again. You know, way to kill it as usual. Way to kill it as usual. Right back at you, You man. No, 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 no. I want to take a second in this podcast to t- uh, way to kill it again as usual. Derek with the, with, with the curveballs, with the curveballs, man. It's with- the midnight myths. We call them boomerangs. <laughs> <laughs> I just miss baseball so much. Oh, same here. So man. the other two things I want to talk about that we haven't really focused in on the book. If you're, if you'll permit me to move, to move to another thing, let's do it. So can we talk about what I think is literally the scariest part of the fucking book? Can I guess what you think of that Please? is first? Dandelo. Oh my God. Dandelo. Okay, listen, I'm terrified of clowns. Terrified. Which means I've never read it. I watched the first movie when I was like 12 because my cousin totally fucked me up. I hate clowns. I hate them. It doesn't matter what cl- kind. Except for the Joker. For some reason, I've stomached that for some reason. Because Batman stops because him. Because Batman. Exactly. But I'll tell you, like, I'm always terrified terrified of clowns. We get to this section of Dandelo, and I knew I knew what was coming. I knew that Dandelo is a relative of the species or the same species as the as Pennywise. But like the fact that in this book, they take a medium of comedy, which is something that I connect to as a person, and use it as a means of terrorism is fucking terrifying to me. I mean, dude, I, I, I periodically would have to stop reading that chapter and like get up and walk away. And I would routinely get up at like seven o'clock in the morning and read for like two hours during quarantine. And this was the hardest chapter for me to get through that moment where like Roland, it feels like he's suffocating because he's laughing so hard. And we're watching Susanna witness this, man. I felt that. I felt that in my bones. That shit is terrifying. Of all the crap that happens in this book, from a fucking killer train, you know what I mean? Like, to, to, I mean, before that, Roland getting his hand ripped off by lobstrosities. We go through all this crazy shit that, you know, the TikTok man and fucking, we're in Discordia and there's a, a human baby that's a spider and all this fucking shit. This clown terrified me. I totally agree, man. I think the second half of this book, once we get to the point where, you know, Roland and Susanna reunite um, after the death of Jake and he goes and he meets, uh, you know, Moses Carver and the Tet Corporation, I think it is peak Stephen King horror. Oh, dude, we get 150 pages of straight horror. Yeah. It's terrifying. And it's really scary and it builds to the point and that point is Dandelo. And so many times in this series, the Contet or Roland have met kind of common folksy people who have just been there, who have offered aid or comfort 
or advice or food and shelter. This felt been, much different, didn't it? Yeah, this is a common theme that you have seen throughout this entire series, that there are just common good folk who are going to help the, these people out and who are going to help Roland out, rather, and help the content out. And it starts from the uh, guy that has the bird Zoltan in the first book. Mm-hmm. I forgot his name oh, again. I- I forgot it the first episode we did too, <laughs> and I forget it now. Um, you know, to um, the people at River Crossing, with, to, with Antaletha, yeah, to, with Antaletha, to John Cullum, to uh, you know, there's always these. Just I mean, like, even Calibrin Sturgis, they 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 come to really pair Callahan the right. and all of the common folk. So this idea that there's this sort of like salt of the earth common people who are fundamentally good who will help strangers out if they need help and they can and help them. And that's classic Stephen King. Absolutely. And that's part of him coming from Maine. These are all Maine people in a, in a way that this is a part of his culture. He writes these people in and they're there and they're good and they're helpful. And then you meet one and he's really nice and really charming. The horse kind of looks dead. You know, like the horse is really in bad shape, but ah, everything's okay. Everything will be fine. And he invites them in. And they get the most delicious meal and they get, they feel warm and it's the most like comforted. And I'm, I'm, I'm doing those little air quotes for, because you can't see me. They feel comforted like from moment one. And, and we read the book, like I knew what was coming and yet I was like, fuck, this is not good. This feels, this feels wrong from the moment they get to odds lane where it's written. It's supposed to be odd lane, but he adds the apostrophe S you're like, man, something doesn't feel good. And I will tell you, Derek, I mean, really, like, I'm not a horror person. And 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 I'm sitting in my kitchen. It's bright. I mean, the sun is shining. You couldn't perfect spring morning. And and I'm terrified. Absolutely terrified. I mean, there were times when I I, I could physically feel my chills. I could feel myself shaking. Like Dandelo is my worst fucking nightmare. And this this creature, which is definitely linked to It and Pennywise, I think Stephen King has confirmed it. Yes. I have seen the It movies, and I've read half of the book It. Um, I didn't finish it for whatever reason. I think I just got distracted mm-hmm. and put it down and then moved on, because it's a big book. Um, I've also heard it's the scariest. It's very scary. I think that's part of the reason. I, I personally have never been scared or, side note, than when I read The Shining, reading something that that was, and I think even watching a scary movie, that was the scared, scaredest I've ever been. Um, but that being said, the idea of vampires, the idea that these evil creatures are all creatures that either feed on psychic energy or blood, they're there to like- Or positive energy. Yes, they're, they're there to feed on these, they're, they're parasites essentially. The idea that there's a parasitic relationship to the creatures that serve the Crimson King versus those of the white who don't have a parasitic relationship. Like if they have to hunt and kill, they do, but they do so respectfully. They use, you know, there's a great scene where they show them tanning the leather and using every little piece of the deer, that there's a respect there that they have for this living creature versus just, you know, taking people in, fattening them up, and then eating them. Because that's what Dandelo is trying to do. Absolutely, he's trying to eat them in a like in a like a but a psychic energy way rather than just eating their flesh. Well, because he knows that that most of the people are on this journey are not going to get to the tower. 
You know, I mean, he he almost gets Roland of Gilead. He's this close. Listen, if, if Susanna didn't have a sore on her face, Roland would dead. be dead. Absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah. Yep. And she yep. hits that, and it explodes. Yep. And that's the only reason. And there's an interesting bit there where she goes into the um, Susanna, that is, to the bathroom of Dandelo, and she sees a note, and it is the Deus Ex Machina, which means God in the Machine, which is a reference. Um, to Greek plays in which the idea was that your character, your hero would be in a scenario they can't can't really get out of, and a god would literally come onto the stage and save them and help them get out of this. And that Stephen King writes in a letter to Susanna as the god in the machine, as the actual creator of this universe, writes this. And I thought that was interesting I wonder, that's one of the the elements my second time around. The first time I kind of breezed by that. The second time around, I'm really wondering how to take that. Well, I think it makes sense. I mean, think about it, right? The writer Stephen King has been approached now twice, and his life has been saved by this quartet, which makes me believe that as soon as he's saved and he's out of the hospital, he is writing. So here's my question. Does the character Stephen King write that? In the book, or and this is gonna sound weird, does Stephen King in our world? No, I think it's write St- that. No, I think it's Stephen King in our world because he already has all of this knowledge, right? Theoretically, if he so, is the mouthpiece of Gan, he already has this knowledge. So that, but Stephen King, the character, is the mouthpiece of Gan, mm. right? Mm. In the book, is Stephen King, and is there a difference? So this is where the Dark Tower well, you know gets what? so weird. Well, and here's the question. Why don't folks listening at home, why don't you let us know on Twitter what you think? Because, because the truth is, I don't know. I, I don't know. It's one that I like. When I, I think at that point, I don't care enough to know, actually. I just sort of assume that Stephen King, whether it's the author or the character, is helping them along. But maybe that's just me being lazy. I just thought it was interesting. The fact that we have, we, we have Stephen King, a character who literally writes himself in, uh, we have Stephen King, the author creates Stephen King, the character who then writes a letter to help a character well, out of a jam then more than, as the de- the literal deus ex machina. Well, so maybe then <laughs> to, to yep. maybe to psychoanalyze that a little bit, maybe it is Stephen King, the character adding to the story, right? Like, like helping them along. This is the one piece that Stephen King, the character actually gives Roland and Susanna because up until this point, he's just being helped by the quartet. Well, let's not forget who puts the scopola in the bag. of Black Oh, 13. Sure, 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 sure. Who writes? So there is a so letter. He's done this before. So it, it, I do. It's just an interesting the way that Stephen King becomes an active participant in book seven, I'm not sure I've really figured out the meaning of that part yeah, well, yet. Well, that's interesting. I'm not sure. I'm, that's the one thing I'm sure. still, maybe I'll have to reread the whole thing again. You know what? <laughs> that's what I was just going to say. Well, Derek, okay, starting tomorrow, we read book one. Yeah. Like, no. Oh, man. No, I need, I need, I need like 10 years away from this book series. I, I don't know what my life looks like without, the dark tower in it at this point. It's two, literally two years in like three or four months. I've been constantly reading the dark tower. So I don't know about you. 
Is there, okay, let me ask you this first before I segue into this. Is there anything else in this part of the book that you would like to talk about? Probably, but I can't think of it now. So I think this is a good point in time for you and I to talk about what we talked about at the very beginning of this episode. Because cause a wheel, baby. So Derek and I have now done the entire Dark Tower series. And a few months ago, we had started to talk about how we really didn't want this project to end and that we've, we feel really good kinship and we feel like we've, 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 you know, you as the audience have really enjoyed this. So we've made a decision. We have, may I, may I share this? Please. Oh, yes. So we have decided to read every other Stephen King novel that has been written, both as Stephen King and his pseudonym, Richard Bachman, and relate it back to the Dark Tower. Because apparently, you can relate every single book that he has written back to the Tower. So, so keep in mind, we're going to continue doing this project, but we're going to read the book under the lens of it pertaining to the Dark Tower. So we might not always talk about the whole plot of the book like we have done with this series, but we might point out how it relates to... Would you agree with that? I think... You know, all things, even the beams, serve uh, the tower. All of them. Why would a podcast be any different? All right, so can we can we reveal the book we're going to read first? Okay, so we've decided what we want to do. Oh, I'm we're so excited. going to read another Stephen King book. Uh -huh. We're going to talk about uh -huh. it. We're going to want everyone to go read along with us. Now, going forward, we may, instead of picking the book ourselves, we may want to get you know, feedback, like, hey, what book would you like us oh, to Oh, I would next? love that. But we're not doing that the first time because no. we realized when we reflected on The Dark Tower, if we were going to read a book that Steve and I have not read mm -hmm. that has to do with The Dark Tower and that we wanted to talk about in relation back to The Dark Tower, we decided that there's only one book to start with. Uh. Steve, would you like to say? Oh, we are going to start with Salem's Lot, ladies and gentlemen. Our next book up is Salem's Lot. Yes. We're going to start this relatively soon after this is published. Yeah, I mean, we're quarantined. We'll take a, we'll take a little bit off. Yeah. And then we'll, Derek and I will decide when, because we, we pretty much start these books at the same time. And then we'll, we'll probably do what we did with the rest of the series. Like, we'll read the first half of the book and we'll talk about it. And we'll come. It depends on the book. Yeah. But I think Salem's Lot is long enough for us to do two episodes. Right. And I can tell you, my wife, Rebecca, she is so excited. So she's been, so she listens to every Midnight Myth podcast religiously. She has followed every single episode. I mean, she's caught up. Like, I, I have heard you and Laurel's voice in my house at the same time that you, Derek, have been in my house. I've heard this. So, so Rebecca was like, I can't wait. Are, are you done? Are you done the Dark Tower yet? Are you done? Because she hasn't read the Dark Tower. I'm going to get her to, don't worry. But she hasn't read, but she has read, she has read now uh, uh, The Shining, Jerusalem's Lot, The Mist, and she's about halfway through The Stand right now, which I think is wild. I don't know how she's doing it. She's stronger than I will ever be, mentally and emotionally, uh, and probably physically at this point, honestly. She could probably pick me up and throw me. Uh, <laughs> but, <that being laughs> yeah, said, anyway, that being said... <laughs> We are now at the top of the tower Ooh. and we've decided that we're going to start over and we are going to start reading tower adjacent books 
and we're going to talk about them, how they relate to the tower, and then just generally speaking, welcome to the Midnight Myth Stephen King Book Club. Yeah, and honestly, here's the thing. So if there are any books immediately after, I mean, look, there are some obvious ones that come well, up. Well, There's Insomnia, which is which is written in, in the Dark Tower. I think what we'll do is once we're close to recording with the next book, we'll come up with a, a short list and we'll probably post a poll and, and ask yeah. people to vote. I That's think great. is what we'll do. Sweet. So we'll come up with a few that we think make sense and after listen, that one. Listen, folks, you know, we, 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 the way we're being completely honest in that we take your feedback and your suggestions seriously. We had a fan who asked us to read, um, four E what, what God, went through the keyhole, went through the keyhole, right. In, in chronological order, because technically we would have read it now. Right. But we, we take your suggestions very seriously, please. When we have that poll up, take a second. Tell us what you want us to read. We're su I mean, look, we're reading every Stephen King book anyway. <laughs> so you, at this point, tell us what you want to hear first. But we're starting with Salem's Lot. I'm literally, I'm going to pick it up tomorrow morning. I, I can't help it. I can't help it. I mean. You yeah. take the time that you need. Yeah. I'm just, I'm too hype. I just got to say this. <laughs> Before we continue with the future. We set out mm. a little over a year ago, and we were going to go on a, a quest to do the tower, and we were going to go on a quest to talk about the tower. We've now completed that quest. And though we realize, like Roland, we are back in the desert chasing the man in black again, wanting to restart it, I can't thank every single person who has downloaded, liked, shared, Anything that has to do with the Wheel of Ka. We're really excited to continue the project. We're really happy that we did it. And there will be more Wheel of Ka. Yeah, and, and, and I, again, would just like to reiterate that I personally would like to thank Derek and Laurel for, you know, fostering this project, allowing me, me, a person, their literal next-door neighbor. I mean, when Derek and I started this, we, we really didn't know each other as well as we do now. And Laurel even less. You know, and I, I want to thank her specifically for allowing me to come on, allowing the Wheel of Ka to come under the umbrella of the Midnight Myth. And listen, if you like this content, I've told you time and time again, and if you haven't listened to me, shame on you. You should go right now and download every single episode that the Midnight Myth has, has created and listen to it right now. Because if you think this content is good, if you think this stuff is good, you should hear what they're doing. Because Laurel is a million times more intelligent than I am. And me. <laughs> <laughs> and me. <laughs> hey, you don't get to hear two dopes talk about Stephen King. But listen, honestly, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. Derek, thank you. My buddy, a close, close, good friend, my family member now. I mean, you, you brought me on this journey and you've continued with me and I can't thank you enough. I love you, brother. I love every single person that listens to this podcast. Whether we've met, whether we've talked or not, please, please, please reach out to us. Seriously. Moving forward, tell us what you want to hear. Dude, I cannot fucking believe that we did it. We did it, man. Dude, we did it. Well, I think that about That's wraps it, it all man. Up. That's it. Well, until next time, everyone, long days and pleasant nights. Long days.